The second reading today is taken from Psalm 13, verse 1 to 6. This can also be found on page 532 of the Pew Bibles. Psalm 13, for the director of music, a Psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gary. Good morning. My name is Ollie. It'd be great if you could keep your Bible open as we work through that psalm. If you're a note taker, there's an outline in the newsletter you might find useful as well. But as we begin, I'm going to pray. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, for these three things we pray, to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. No one likes being forgotten. I was chatting to one of my best mates recently. He was telling me about a time he got forgotten when he was about eight or so by his parents at church of all places. That morning they went to church as a family and they sat together for the service as per normal. They enjoyed the service together. Then as the service ended, the parents went off to chat to the other adults and the kids dispersed to grab some morning tea and to play with the other kids. After about half an hour or so of having fun and playing and and running around, my friend thought, oh, it's probably time to head home soon. So he went out to the front of the church expecting to see his loving family waiting there for him only to find out, to his horror, that they had left without him. I asked him, what did you do? And this is what he said. He said, I just sat sadly on the church steps, waiting and hoping they'd notice and turn around. That's a, it's a terrible story. And I'm sure us parents here, we're now thinking, make sure you count. You've got the right number of kids before you leave church today. But no one likes being forgotten. I wonder, have you ever been forgotten? Maybe your birthday came and you were excitedly waiting for the phone calls and the text messages or someone to come up and wish you happy birthday, but no one did, and you felt forgotten. Or maybe you did a great job at work and your your whole team did a great job, and at the next meeting, your boss went through the list of everyone in your team, thanking them by name, and he went name after name after name, but didn't name you. You were the only one that didn't get named, and you felt completely forgotten. Or maybe you were wanting to catch up with a friend you hadn't seen in quite a while and you excitedly organized the details, then the date came, but they never turned up and you felt completely forgotten. No one likes being forgotten. But let me ask you this. Have you ever felt forgotten by God? Have you ever felt forgotten by God, in the midst of sickness, when the symptoms became almost unbearable and you cried out to God for some relief but none came, did you feel forgotten by God? 
in the midst of loss and tragedy as you cried yourself to sleep every night and as you just longed for the pain to go away. But it didn't. Night after night after night, did you feel forgotten by God? In the midst of loneliness and unfulfilled hopes as your heart felt like it was tearing in two and it seemed like all you got from God when you cried out was silence. Did you feel forgotten by God? In sickness and in suffering, through agony and aching, in the midst of longing and loneliness, we often feel forgotten by God. And I suspect that each of us has felt like that at some point or another. And if we haven't yet, then we probably will eventually because the reality is that the world is a hard place. In a sense, we step into the world with a cry. That's the first sound we make as we leave our mother's womb. And in a sense, then, we don't stop crying for the rest of our lives. It continues because the world is broken through cancer, through addictions, through failed marriages, through abuse, through loneliness, through relational conflict. The world is a hard place. And when we go through that hardness, it can often feel like God has forgotten us, like God does not care what we're going through. So let me ask you this then. How can you trust God in the midst of suffering? How can you trust God when you feel like God has forgotten you? But there's an often neglected prayer language in the Bible that helps us when we're traveling through our broken world. What is it? Well, Psalm 13 shows us it is lament. The Bible is filled with this song of sorrow. And in the Psalms in particular, around one third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. But it's also elsewhere in the Bible. There's a whole book of the Bible. Don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called Lamentations. And it laments and weeps over the destruction of Jerusalem. We also see Jesus do it in his final hours on the way to the cross. Jesus laments. And yet, despite this lament being all over the Bible, it's actually something we're not particularly familiar with as 21st century Western Christians. But the problem is then that that hinders how we handle suffering. Because if we don't know how to lament, then when suffering comes, we're tempted to run away from God. But lament teaches us actually to do the opposite. Rather than run away from God, lament teaches us to run towards God. It teaches us that through our tears, we can honestly declare to God the struggles and the sorrow that we're suffering. But the key to know about lament is this. It is more than just crying. It is more than just an expression of sorrow. It is more than just a venting of emotion. Lament is a form of prayer. Lament talks to God about our pain, and it has a unique purpose. Trust. It's a divinely given invitation to pour all of our fears and our frustrations and our sorrows out, all for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. And so today, as we look at Psalm 13, this psalm of lament, we're going to see an answer to our question. How can we trust God in the midst of suffering? Well, we can trust in God by telling him how we feel. We can trust in God by asking him to help. And we can trust in God because of his goodness to us. And so firstly, we can trust in God by telling him what we feel. 
Some people, you have to be careful what you say to them. You have to walk on eggshells around them because if you say the wrong thing, they could fly off the handle at you. But that's not God. God will never be offended when we share with him what we're feeling. After all, he actually knows it already. And in our psalm, four times David says to God that he feels like God's forgotten. Four times he says, how long, God? He's pouring out his agonized heart. Have a look at verses one and two. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? We can feel the the raw emotion seeping off the page. There's no beating around the bush here. He simply tells God how he feels. And he feels like God has forgotten him, like God is hiding his face. Now, one of the things Levi, my son, and I love doing together is hide and seek. He'll go and hide somewhere, usually somewhere fairly obvious. Then I'll pretend that I can't find him for a while. Then after a while, I'll be like, oh, there you are. Then it's my turn to hide. And as an adult, of course, I'm much better at hiding than he is. The problem that I've found, though, is if I hide too well, and if he can't find me, then he actually starts getting quite anxious. He'll kind of walk around, I'll hear his little voice call out, Daddy, where are you? He wants to see me. He wants to be with me. See, if I'm too well hidden, then he feels abandoned. And in a sense, that is what David is feeling here, like God is hiding, and David can't find him. And while in hide and seek, it's just a game, and so it doesn't really matter, this is not a game. Real life is not a game. There's genuine pain, and suffering, and David longs to have God near him with that, and so he tells God how he feels. But I wonder, when you hear David be so direct, how does it make you feel? I suspect we all might feel a little bit nervous about it, a bit uncomfortable at his bluntness. We might think, oh gee, you can't say that to God, but he did, and so can we. See, this is what biblical lament is. It's being blunt and direct with God. Now, of course, it's not being, uh, not in an ungodly way. David doesn't say to God, God, you are such an idiot. You are so stupid. Why have you done this to me? Of course not. He isn't disrespectful or insulting, but he is open and honest with telling God how he feels. And the staggering thing here is that God the creator of all things, the judge and almighty king, he invites us to tell him how we're feeling. Isn't that just mind-blowing? He wants us to tell him how we feel. And so then, when the list of your trials and sufferings threaten to overwhelm you, you can tell God. When the pain of living in a fallen world weaves itself into your heart and threatens to steal away all of your joy, you can tell God. When your heart feels like it's been ripped out of your chest and trampled on, you can tell God. When you feel forgotten and abandoned like no one on earth cares about you at all, you can tell God. See, this is the breathtaking beauty of this psalm and of laments. God is interested in us. God is interested in what we're feeling. And when we tell him, he won't fly off the handle, he won't shout and scream and screech, nothing like that at all. He will draw us close 
like a father listening to the cares and concerns of his toddler. See, what can we do when we feel like God's forgotten us? We tell God how we feel. And that's the first way we can trust God. The second way is this. We can trust God by asking him to help. See, just like a father, he's interested in us. And so we don't just tell him what we feel, but we ask for help too. And just like a father, God is interested in us. As Jesus says, what kind of a father, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Of course not. Dads look after their kids. And if that's what earthly dads do, then how much more the heavenly father? And so David comes before God with confidence. Have a look at verse 3. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. See, David calls on God and asks him to look, to, to scrutinize, to consider, and then to answer his request. It is, it is bold, but it's also tender. Did you notice the tender note there with that little word? My. Have a look again. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. See, it injects an affectionate aspect to things. This is David's God, his personal God, who cares about him personally. And it's that God that David comes to, and it is that God that we come to. See, we can echo David's prayer of trust here. As we confidently pray, look on us and answer, Lord our God. This is the beauty of lament. For David, what does he ask for help with? Well, for God to deliver him from whatever it is that's befallen him. Have a look at verses three and four. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. He's asking God for deliverance. He doesn't say what specifically the issue is and we don't know specifically what the issue was, but he does say if he doesn't get it, then he will die. But David shows his trust by asking God to help. And what it shows us is that that is how we can trust God too. See, often in the midst of suffering, we're tempted to run away from God. We're tempted to ignore God. We're tempted to give God the cold shoulder. We're tempted to stop bringing our cares and our concerns before God in prayer. And instead, we figure we'll sort it ourselves. We'll take things into our own hands. We'll solve our own problems. But actually... It's in those moments that we need God the most. It's in those moments that we need to pray the most and bring our cares and concerns before God the most. And that's what this psalm of lament shows us to do. We can trust God by coming to him and asking for help. And then finally, as we rehearse our troubles and ask the question, how long, O Lord, we're faced with a decision Will we choose to listen to our hearts, our emotions and the pain or will we choose to press into God and trust in God's faithfulness and goodness? That is the, the question. That is the options we're faced with. But why can we trust in God? Well, because of his goodness to us. We can trust in his unfailing love because he has shown us his love. Have a look at verses 5 and 6. But I trust in your unfailing love. 
my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. Isn't they great verses? But did you notice the interesting thing about them as we read that? It's in the past tense. It's not in the future tense. Did you notice that? David isn't praising God for what God will do. It's for what God has already done. Did you notice that there? See, David is thinking about all that God has done for him already. Perhaps to the way that God raised him up from being a shepherd in obscurity to become the king of God's people. Perhaps in the way that God defeated Goliath for David. Perhaps in the way that God delivered David from, the, from Saul's soldiers that were chasing him. He thinks back to all the goodness that God has shown to him and he realizes, of course, I can trust that God. Of course, I can trust the God who has been so good to me in so many ways. God's track record speaks for itself. See, in spite of his pain, in spite of his suffering, in spite of all that he is going through, David chooses to trust God because of the many ways that God has already shown his goodness. And in the same way, God has already shown his goodness to us in so many ways. There's a well-known old hymn, I don't know if you're familiar with it, it's called Count Your Blessings. I don't know if you know that hymn or not. In a sense, that's what David does here. He counts his blessings. Now, let me share with you some of the words from the the hymn. Uh, This is what it says. I won't try and sing it. Uh, When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, count your blessings, see what God has done. I don't you love that? Yes, life can be hard, and yes, we get thrown around on the waves of life. But in the midst of it, it brings such comfort to count our blessings. Because if we do, we will see what David sees we will see that God has been good to us in big ways and in little ways. For example, just being born here in Australia in the 21st century is such a blessing. We have food to eat and a roof over our heads. We have a country that's stable and not racked by war or political instability. We also have many relational blessings here at church. We have a family of believers to support us and to walk alongside us in the midst of turmoil. And I'm sure for you, you can think of many other ways that God has been good to you. But of course, that is not even the best part because God's greatest display of goodness is his son. Jesus, who sang those words of Psalm 13, verses 1 to 4, on the way to the cross, on his way to die, all so that we can sing, verses 5 and 6, how good God has been to us. See, we can look at Jesus' death and see the greatest act of steadfast love ever given. And then Jesus, who came back to life and then who raised up to heaven and is seated on the right hand of God, he says... Behold, I'm coming again. And that is the ultimate solution for all of the pain of the world. See, the cry from verse 1, how long, O Lord? It's ultimately, actually, a cry for Jesus to return again. Because when Jesus returns again, all of the wrongs will be made right. 
all of our sorrows will be swept away and all of our tears will be wiped away. And even death will be destroyed. As uh, John Owen says, says this, the death of death is in the death of Christ. The death of death is in the death of Christ. So do you want all of the pain and sorrow and heartache to be gone? Well, it will one day because of Jesus when he returns. And so ultimately, that is why we can trust in God because we have seen how good he is, how good he has been in the gift of his son. And so I remember my, uh, my friend at the start who was forgotten by his family. It's a sad story. But you know what? This psalm tells us that we will never be forgotten by God and we never have been forgotten by God. And so just see how worthy God is of our trust. And so then as we close, I want to share, uh, I want to show what difference this will make if we understand this, what difference this will make in our lives. And so as I do, I want to have a word for three particular groups, and I think that will cover everyone here. Um, Some of us might be in multiple of those groups. I want to say a word to those in the midst of suffering, to those preparing for suffering, and for those caring for sufferers. Now, of course, if you're in the midst of suffering, I don't mean to dismiss your pain or make light of it, nothing like that at all. But nevertheless, I do want to point us all, set all of our eyes on the foundation of God's Word. And so firstly, to those in the midst of suffering, maybe that is you this morning. Maybe just recently, the doctor just confirmed your worst fears, the cancer has returned. Maybe you were just recently crushed by the news of a miscarriage. Or maybe for you, simply getting out of bed each day, you have to battle the dark and familiar depths of depression. Whatever it is for you. And this is what you need to know. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. See, the temptation is to think that God has forgotten you and so to run from him, to give him the cold shoulder. But that is not the solution. The solution is and always is to pray more, not less. Of course, prayer won't always instantly solve your pain. In fact, even with our psalm, did you notice when there's been any solution? There hasn't. There's no mention by David that whatever it was that was causing him such anguish has now been resolved. And yet, he still says somehow in verse 5 that there is joy in his heart. How can that be? Well, it's because prayer lifts our eyes onto our Heavenly Father. Prayer draws us into His loving embrace where He holds us close. I read of one man who went through a tremendous suffering. He and his wife had a stillborn daughter amongst other miscarriages as well. It was a terrible thing for him to go through. But in the midst of his, his grief and his heartbreak, he had a prayer that he used to say, short and simple. This is the prayer he used to say, God... This is hard, yet I choose to trust you today. Isn't that a great prayer? God, this is hard, yet I choose to trust you today. That is running to God in the midst of suffering. It's being open and honest, telling God how he feels, yet casting himself into God's arms. And it's that kind of prayer that we need to pray. We don't need the complex ones. Though if complex ones helps you, go for it. But we don't need that. All we need in the midst of suffering, when words are hard to come by and when we don't know what to pray, 
Just pray that. God, this is hard, but I choose to trust you today. And so if you're in the midst of suffering now, then this psalm wants you to know, don't stop praying. It's the best thing you can do. Secondly, for those preparing for suffering, which is all of us, we are all preparing for suffering because suffering will come at some point, then this is what you need to know. Now is the time to get ready for it. It's a bit like swimming. You don't want to learn how to swim when you're in the midst of the ocean, being buffeted and tossed back and forwards by the waves. It is too late then to learn how to swim. The time to learn is before you hop in the ocean before those waves start buffeting. And in the same way, the time to learn what to do in the midst of suffering is now, before the suffering comes. So make the most of this chance. Make the most of learning to tell God what you feel, to ask God to help, and to trust in God because of his goodness. And there's all sorts of ways that might work, all sorts of things that might look like. Imagine, for example, this week you're on, your way to work, on the way to a meeting in your car and you get a flat tire and you're, you're flustered and you're stressed. Well, that is a chance to make the language of lament part of your language. You could cry out, Lord, I'm really stressed by this. I'm stressed. I'm going to miss my meeting. I don't know why this has happened. But would you please help me get this tire changed and would you help me trust in you? So using moments like that can prepare us for the bigger moments. Learning to tell God how we feel, learning to ask God to help us, and learning to trust God because he is good. See, for those of us, as we prepare for suffering, now is the time. Because when suffering comes, we'll be so swamped by it that it's hard to think clearly. And then finally, A word for those caring for sufferers. This is the word. Keep pointing them to Jesus. Now it's tempting to try and kind of come up with all sorts of clever tactics and strategies to help them cope. Google is rife with all sorts of this kind of stuff. In just an extremely quick search, in about a one minute search, I found the three ways to help someone cope with suffering the four ways to help someone cope with suffering, the five ways, the six ways, the seven ways, the nine ways to help someone cope with suffering. I don't know why there was no eight ways. I don't know whether they double up or not, but that's what you find when you Google. It's got all sorts of tips and strategies to help someone when they're suffering. Every man and his dog has a trick. And if we try and be like the world, if we try and offer kind of tidbits of worldly wisdom, then we are of no use to them. And that is because they do not need us and they don't need worldly wisdom. What they need is Jesus. They need to keep looking to him and to his work on the cross and they need to keep longing for the day when he will return to bring an end to all the suffering. What does that look like to keep pointing them towards Jesus? Well, it might mean praying with them. It might mean asking them, do you mind if I read the Bible with you? In fact, uh, just this week, I I heard a story from one of my friends, and she said many years ago, her friend was dying, and as this friend was dying, their church organized a a roster for people to go and sit with this dying lady in palliative care and to read the Bible with her, and so my friend was, was there one time reading the Bible, and she didn't even know whether this sick lady could hear. The sick lady just lying there, eyes shut, didn't even know whether she was listening or not. 
that my friend got to the end of the passage she was reading and she, she finished. And the sick lady opened her eyes and said, oh, that was a good one. So it gave such great comfort to that lady to have her eyes pointed back to Jesus in the midst of suffering. That is what we have that we can offer people. We can point them to their glorious saviour. See, the reality is that life can be hard and sometimes it does feel like God has forgotten us. The beautiful truth of Psalm 13 is that he hasn't and he never will. But when we feel like that, lament is the key. It stands in the gap between pain and promise, reminding us of that absolutely foundational truth that God can be trusted. I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you can be trusted in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain, in the midst of whatever we might go through. Thank you that you are trustworthy and we know you are trustworthy because you have shown your goodness for us. You've shown it in many small and big ways in our lives, but particularly you've shown it by the gift of your son, Jesus, who you gave so that we might be reconciled to you. We thank you that in him we see just how trustworthy you are but we do confess when we're going through hard times, we do find it hard still to trust you. In those moments, would you hold us close? Would you remind us of your presence? Would you draw us near? Help us to tell you what we feel. Help us to cast ourselves onto you as we ask you to help. And then help us to trust. Please help us to trust. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.